0: You're listening to Firm Up, the fermented food podcast where we get together every week to discuss anything and everything fermented. We're your hosts, Brandon and Allison, and this week we're talking the genetics of yeast in beer brewing. All this and more in episode 68. All right, so where should we start?
1: Well, I I think we should just start at the beginning.
0: So we're talking Strange Brews today, or at least the article from the New York Times last week that was breaking news last episode, White Labs. They're studying the genes of beer
1: yeah I think it's really cool. I think that this is something that has and it even says in the article it's never been done before um I think there's a ton of interest and in, in, I think it's a really fun avenue to take down this this road of genetics and yeast because it can be applied into hopefully this information can not only be applied to beer brewing in genetics but to other other things
0: now do you think that this We're talking about yeast today, and we're talking about beer specifically, but like you're talking about expanding out and going into other places like uh, baking or or otherwise. Could it also expand to other microorganisms, or do things just kind of fall apart in their connections at that point?
1: Oh, no. I'm sure that it can be expanded into bacteria and molds. I think molds might be a little more difficult just because they are slightly different in their makeup and how they're made than um yeast and bacteria but you could definitely use it for bacterial research
0: because I would really be interested in getting into more of the genetics of uh, different bacteria uh, in. And there is a bit of that, but uh, I feel like there's more. But we have here is an example of one of the most studied microorganisms uh, being uh, brewer's yeast. So for before we even really dive into this, for anyone that by chance doesn't really know much about, say, craft beer or beer in general or beer brewing, like where do we start?
1: Well, I mean, like you can start in lots of different avenues. Like A, a lot of people ask me when they t- find out I know um, a little bit about brewing and winemaking that um, the, everyone always asks me, well, how do they get it to taste different if you're using the same ingredients? Um, if you start with in brewing beer, you know, like malt and water and hops, how can you get so many different styles of beer out of just those few ingredients? The same with winemaking, like how you, all you have is grapes. How can there be so many different kinds of wine? So I think we should start there.
0: So how do you get all of those
1: things? <laughs> I kind of set myself up <laughs> there. Um, but well, a lot of it has to do with the actual yeast strain that you're using. And it mentions in this New York Times article that there are 500 different flavor compounds that come from yeast strains. Which are, um, that's that's
0: quite a few. I mean, a wine is arguably right around there. And I've heard like 400 or so before. And maybe those numbers continually change. But it's, it's quite a few for beer.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'd say plus or minus, you know, 100, 200 flavors for in, an aroma compounds from beer. But that's just the number that um, Chris White says that in the actual article. But, um, I mean, you start with the same ingredients again going back to brewing you have um the same kind of well in the there are some differences in the type of malt that you're using um or or grains you can use um barley or rice usually rice isn't very popular um and it's usually added as an adjunct adjunct grain um just kind of like a filler but um you can have all sorts of different stuff like that you can have different roasts to the to the grain, so there are some differences. It's not all about the yeast, but a majority of the flavor comes from the yeast. Uh-huh.
0: Yeah, like two thirds up to two thirds of the beer's taste, according to this article. I mean, that's that's a lot. I didn't even think it was that much. I thought a lot more of it was that preparation that you were talking about.
1: No, a lot of it does come from the yeast, just because when they are in the actual wort, as it's as the beer as the wort is turning into beer, and you have that fermentation happening, the yeast are. All they're trying to do is just survive and to try to create as much energy as they can. So when the yeast are fermenting, um, they're trying to create all this type of energy. And it's usually in the form of ADP um, or NADH. And that's just a way that they can um, cycle through all of the sugars and um, start with sugar and then end up with ethanol. And that's how they make this um, these two types of energy compounds. But... In the process of doing that, they also produce a lot of side compounds that they don't really care too much about. Um, They're making these flavor compounds and aromas that we find really um, appetizing and uh, and appealing, and they end up in the beer itself. And so that's kind of where the flavor comes from. And every yeast strain that we, that, you know, there's no definitive Um, I mean, there is definitive research stating like this, there are different types of yeast strains that do produce different types of aromas and flavors um, throughout a fermentation. Um, From the beginning of fermentation, there are different aroma compounds versus the end of fermentation. There's a ton of research done about this, but there hasn't really been any research that I know of. um, And that's why they did this article at the New York Times that goes even one step further and looks into the DNA of the yeast and tries to figure out what the DNA sequencing is to have the their biological pathways create these different flavor profiles. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, because like what I took from the article is something along the lines of, uh, like you're saying, the... It's understood that certain strains are going to create certain different kinds of flavors, but the the why and how exactly that this is happening um, is still not fully understood. And so the ability to be able to grasp that, hopefully finding more answers to the genetic uh, makeup of these things, might start to see as to like, okay, that's why this one's doing that and this one does that. Because um, jumping later in the article, it uh, really kind of puts to light that breeding is possible with yeast. But at the same time, just putting two yeasts that have certain pro, uh, flavor profiles that a person likes, like Maybe one that has a fruity flavor and another uh, that um has a higher alcohol content that might be desired, and putting those together doesn't always work out in a what would be expected and I think that's when things kind of fall apart. It's like they can they can study and differentiate the 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 differences between these different yeasts, but how they do it and why they do it and why it sometimes doesn't work to breed them a certain way is something that this study should help with, right no
1: yeah. Yeah, I think um, they will be able to look at this information and then take exactly what you said. I mean, that's pretty much verbatim from the article where they take, um, you know, possibly a strain that has a really flavorful, fruity aroma, but can only ferment up to three or 5% alcohol. So I think the idea is to um, take this genetic information, um, see where these genes are that that um, regulate the pathway to create a lot of ethanol or alcohol um, and try to put that into a yeast strain, that genetic code, put it into a yeast strain that still creates that fruity flavor. So you can have a really fruity flavored wine, but or, I'm sorry, beer, but um, be have it still be really alcoholic um, and produce a lot of the ethanol at the same time.
0: Well, couldn't we already so, do that? Why don't we just uh, genetically modify them?
1: I mean, we could do that. I th- in the article they it, it's it's kind of funny to me. They do say that they have some that the one of the labs um, and the Belgian lab that is also helping and um, collaborating on this. They do have genetically modified yeast, but no one really wants them. There's no um, consumers or brewers that are um, you know that interested in it. But in the next paragraph, they talk about how um, they would like to use this, inf- this genetic information to mate two strains of yeast together, which we just mentioned, which I guess to me is a, I I just see that as like they're still doing genetic modification and it's still a genetically modified organism. I guess it's just how you, I guess, place it and how how fast you want it to happen. Do you want it pretty fast, this GMO yeast versus a natural conversion of implanting these codes and letting it naturally happen.
0: Yeah. I mean, because, because it does at least emphasize the, the by chance aspect of it. It's like, it's like you can smash these things together and maybe one out of 1000 times will actually produce what a person's uh, looking for. But still, I mean, I mean, that's really not much different than uh, how Vegetables and plants have been hybridized over time or breeded over time. I mean, so many different things that we do. It's just, it's usually a slower process. Whereas this is talking about robotics and computers being able to mash these all together much quicker. I mean, bees don't live that long. It's not like it takes that long to breed them. It's not like puppies. Um, and, right. <laughs> and so, I, in, to a certain extent, it's like, yeah, it maybe it's natural. But then, like, well, I mean, that's a whole different argument about genetically modified uh, organism. How much different is that compared to um, just natural breeding practices, too? I mean, it's like we can get to the same results. It's just like you said, do we take the slow route, the 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 quote unquote natural route, or do we take the quick route? And there's probably there probably are differences and fine hairs that could be split either way. But it's at least an interesting point like you bring up.
1: Yes. I mean, it's I think... I, I don't see anything wrong with, um, you know, GMO-type organisms because they do – they I th- I personally think that they're beneficial and they've helped us as a, a human society to get to kind of where we are. I know there's a huge argument and I'm opening a whole can of worms for people You're to You're going to get some emails. I'm going to get some hate mail about it. But I think that that's just kind of where we are and where we're headed when it comes to science and technology and, um, you know – uh, um, advancements and and all sorts of different things. So I think that this you know is the maybe the Pandora's box of other types of avenues that we can take. This genetic information. We I mean we could find something else about genes and these specific genes that are used for you know as 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 simple as this sounds for brewing different types of beer um, for something else. I mean people are using. Um, genetic, not engineering, but um, looking at genes in this way to do cancer research and um, trying to figure out what kind of genes trigger um, cancer to start developing and is there an age, like time limit, like all sorts of different stuff. So I think that this is a really fun, quote unquote, fun way of looking at genetics and DNA and creating new types of methods and equipment That we could use for maybe, I mean, beers in my life is important and I love beer and wine and that whole science of food and everything. But it could be, it could only take us to something that's probably a little more helpful, like cancer research and diagnosis.
0: Yeah, I mean, and that's the thing is that this is simpler than, say, uh, human genetics, uh, that took a long time. Yeah. I mean, it's a, a little bit more efficient now, but, uh, still this kind of stuff, uh, is becoming a lot more efficient in general, genetic research and much less expensive. And that's something this article was talking about was a few thousand dollars and about a day to sequence the, the genome of a specific yeast strain. So it really doesn't take very long. Um, and that's relatively inexpensive, I would assume.
1: Yeah, I mean it's really inexpensive to do genetic testing. Um, and again, the article said that it took ten years um, for us to gene- um, to figure out what the human genome is. Um, but yeast cells—they're not that there's not that many genes in yeast. Um, they've mapped all of the the genes in E. coli, which is you know type of bacteria. So um, again, I mean this goes back to this is a very uh, applicable. Um, experiment that's kind of fun because it's using beer and people like talking about beer and drinking beer and all that kind of stuff and it's food related Um, but I mean they could create some new types of technology that would again be beneficial to humans maybe um, again for cancer research but other avenues of um, science that we could help out in agriculture or um, in like um, clean energy and all sorts of different stuff
0: This could be a turning point, another one of those uh, points on the the potential historical uh, map of how beer and alcoholic beverages have influenced the world. I mean, it's like talking to some uh, beer people, it's like, it's arguable. I mean, it's at least one theory that that brewing alcohol fermentation was the reason for uh, settling and, and agriculture and, and that whole switch in civilization uh, from hunter-gatherers and everything to to growing crops. And some of that may have actually been for alcohol. Uh,
1: right. Yeah.
0: So, I mean, that was a a huge turning point in human history. So maybe, uh, you know, a few hundred years, a few thousand years from now, history books will look back at times like this, looking at these like you're talking. Yeah, maybe it's a little bit more fun. But again, taste has so much to do with our everything about us. It just makes sense for us to to explore these kind of things, because this kind of stuff is what if something what if flavors could be unlocked that have never been Um, experienced before. And that can be life-changing for someone. Um, You know, it's like, you you never know that butterfly flapping its wings, what it could do for one person or for many. So I think that stuff is exciting and that's way off beating back to more specifically, like what's going on here. It's like, what, like they they were talking about having over 2000 batches of beer. Now um, I don't know how much you would want to or even get into it but you were you you worked at white labs uh listened to the previous episode where uh, before you were a co-host when you were just a interviewee on the on the show a guest on the show like you talked about white labs a little bit what like did were you a part of any of these 2000 batches
1: um well yeah they have a brewer on site who um brews all of the beer and um trolls who is you know, he's the the main person mentioned in the article. And the other person is Chris White. Um, Trolls is responsible for the R&D department. And he um, is responsible for figuring out or doing these different types of brews. And um, the only thing that changes is the yeast strain or um, I don't know. I haven't been. Um, this is sad to say. I haven't been over to White Labs since um, I left last year. Um, to just check up and see how things are going over there. But um, the idea was also to kind of – it was it started out more as, like, a fun research. Let's make a brewery out of this. Let's just get some people to come out here um, and taste some beer and see how science and um, beer related and all of that. And they were going to manipulate, like, different temperatures and how that affects brewing beer. Because, um, you know, when you stress out yeast with different types of temperature, then you get different off flavors. Um that people usually don't like. Um, then There are lots of different ideas of what, what they were going to do with this, um, but they've kind of stuck tried and true to having the same style of beer, so like you know, brewing an IPA, and then um, adding different yeast strains to it. So you do see all of these differences. Um, now, so the actual brewing portion of it, I was never really involved in. Most of my work was done um, on the lab side um, with some other some other things, but I did help out occasionally with the analysis of the beer that they would brew um, because um in in the little uh, five minute podcast of the genetics of beer that's on the strange brews um, um, article, they talk about how they measure pH and they they measure bitterness um, and that sort of stuff. so like you know, I would help do it that. but then in um the part that I did do, and have some hands on involvement with that. I didn't, you know, it was, this was such a top secret project um, that I didn't even know what I was doing at the time. But it says that they, that White Labs um, did, or I'm sorry, the biotechnology company Illumina, which is also based here in San Diego, did the first 96 strains or sequenced the first 96 strains for White Labs for free. Um, well, I grew up um, all of those strains but I had no idea why I was doing it Trolls uh, had just asked me to grow up all of these strains and that I did it and I, he said it was for some special project that he was working on and then um, you know two months later I, I left um, the company so I didn't really give it much thought I just thought oh okay I'll just go ahead and do this it's not a big deal so um, I, I did have I guess that one involvement with the whole project but I had no idea what I was doing at the time
0: and, and now it all makes sense. They had to get rid of you because it was a top secret project. You knew too much.
1: <laughs> now I, now it all makes sense to me. At the time, I was like, I don't Oh, Okay, that's fine. I mean, you know, I got asked to do all sorts of crazy stuff when I worked there. Um, so I didn't think anything of it. I just thought, okay, that's just what they want to do today. That's fine with me. <laughs> yeah. So, but now it all makes sense. And it's a really exciting project. I wish that I had, um, had stayed longer to um, help them out with all of this. But I had no idea.
0: And it is something that does appear to uh, to be of interest. I mean this is this is like we were talking, something that like uh, that breweries, at least craft uh, smaller uh, breweries may very well be interested in the information that's drawn from this. But where do you see it as? Do you see it as really going out into the like the everyday world of, of craft brewing first? or do you see this being more of an academic thing that that remains in academia for a while?
1: I think it's going to stay in academia for a while. Um, I don't want to discredit um, craft brewers for doing something and being really interested in, in this type of research, um, because I know that there, uh, craft brewers and um, brewmasters and all of them are very interested in this in this type of science and technology. Um, but I think it's just going to take a while for it to hit the actual brewing scene and where in the acceptance. Again, of the of these quote unquote GMO organisms, where we can manipulate the DNA um, to create new instant quote unquote again strains that could give us really great beers with you know amazing results with whether it be high alcohol, low alcohol, um, fruitiness, whatever it is, just to create like the you know the Barbie doll yeast strain.
0: Which may sound like it takes out all the romance of brewing, but it seems like beer brewing, to a certain extent, has a lot of, like, the the old traditions are generally, well, sometimes being brought back with, like, sour beers and otherwise. It's, like, generally not as much what it is, but then you look at something like this article, and you see uh, Trolls there, like, you're talking, like, he's at the... um, one of the top images on the strange Brews article. And, uh, you know, like he, you know, this, this looks like uh, alchemy. It's, it's like, it's, you can totally spin this whole kind of thing into like a mad scientist kind of way. And then it becomes romantic again. It becomes that romantic ideal of this, like chasing after flavor. Um, and it, it the laboratory can be sexy too, is what I'm saying. Like, you know, like people can be interested in this stuff and it doesn't just have to be a cold laboratory that is, um, I don't really know exactly where I was going except for like, again, I think beer is something that really brings this stuff to the the forefront and makes it interesting because anything to do with food is, can be a little bit more fun, but then you throw in the alcohol and it's a party. And so um, this is the kind of stuff that is, that is great fun.
1: Yeah. I think, and I think that again, like I think this will be very helpful for brewers too, when they are brewing beer, then you know, any type of information that you know about the strain. And if you could know the sequence and, you know, um, Brewers, when they buy – or winemakers too, when they buy yeast to make wine or beer, there's usually some sort of like paragraph about what this yeast does and what it can do and what it's – how it's supposed to perform. Um, But if you add the genetic – this genetic code or somehow incorporate that into this little paragraph of um, the characteristics, you know, that could really help brewers refine – their brewing practices as well because, you know, temperature is related to flavor, which is related to um, stress and that could produce off flavors or great flavors and all sorts of stuff. So I think that people can use this information too, not not just to read it and be like, oh, that was really interesting. I think that we should do more of this scientific research, but they can really use it and harness it and do some troubleshooting when it comes to brewing their own beers or making their own wines, or even, you know, um, with your own food fermentations, if you have an understanding and a really strong grasp of what your organisms are, then you can use them effectively and efficiently.
0: So then for the, the home brewer, And and like you're saying, it might span out to like other fermentation methods at home. But like, so for the home brewer that really wants to go mad scientist, um, and you know maybe they already do. Like, what would be your steps? I mean, like this article talks about measuring, or maybe it was the podcast uh, recording that talked about the alcohol level, the bitterness, clarity, and pH being the things to measure. Uh, How approachable are those aspects for someone that's doing this at home to measure those and geek out about it um or like do you have any like or maybe maybe even better what is it that you do like how do you track the differences even if someone's not going to be sending off for genetic testing like what can someone do at home if they want to make their brew uh better and understand their yeast clearer
1: well um you can do ph and um what was the other one that you said
0: alcohol level Uh bitterness and clarity
1: well, you can definitely work on the clarity and the pH of your beers. There's lots of um, enzymes that you can buy. Um, I know White Labs um, sells a few clarifi- clarifying enzymes that you uh, you know so many mills into so many gallons of beer. Blah blah blah. Um, these enzymes will chomp away at the haze um, that's created in your beer. Um, to make it not so cloudy. Um, There are other types of techniques that winemakers use too, like putting your beer, or I'm sorry, putting your wine into um, doing a cold stabilization test um, and trying to get out all the tartrates that kind of makes white wine a little fuzzy. Um, So like, there's a lot of simple home remedies that anyone can do. Um, pH, I think, is pretty much going to be the same just through the... Actual fermentation yeast, kind of, um, you know, they control that. Um, so, but if you have a good starting pH for that's really nice and comfortable for the yeast, um, you know, pH of six is usually kind of the uh, not set all be all of, of pH. But you, can, if you have a good starting ferment, a good, good starting pH, that's always a really great way to have like a really nice healthy fermentation um, because. As the, as the fermentation happens, the pH is going to um, drift downwards. And um, so you'll have different ending pHs. So you can't really do too much, but it is probably nice to monitor it and make sure that it's going down. Um, but um, I think, let's see, what was the other one that you mentioned? You, bitterness might be a little more difficult to do just because you need some specialized equipment and chemicals to um, measure bitterness. But um, I know a lot of home brew shops and White Labs also sells like um, kits that you can buy, and you send in samples, and they measure the bit- bitterness for you. I don't know how much they sell for, but it, I'm sure it's um, pretty economical since it's, I think it's mostly ge- geared towards the home brewer.
0: Yeah, which but. the home brewer isn't always – Economical. I mean, some people spend a lot of money on this kind of stuff anyway, but for someone that's really trying to uh, nail down some of these different aspects or at least learn more, if nothing else, maybe um, then this is, that's definitely worth doing. So like, do you know, and I don't expect that you necessarily would, but so say, let's say someone has a few thousand dollars that they want to throw down and get their, um, their wild yeast strains measured, be it beer or, or uh, their, maybe their, their sourdough starter, like, is that something that someone can go into a genetics lab and be like, "Hey, can I send this to you? Will you, um, will you take my money and uh, sequence the genes?"
1: I'm I'm sure that you could probably contact a few of the uh, genetic labs that are mentioned in this article. Um, I I don't know on like a cost perspective if it's cheaper for that for people to run like one. Sample for one person versus a a big company that has lots of samples and they can run a lot of the tests at the same time. Um, So I'm not quite sure about that, but I mean, there's you know, there's always a way to get something done if you really want it done. Um, You can find a way to to get your results. I guess Um, I know when I worked at White Labs, we did all sorts of specialty stuff for people who just wanted um, a a few tests done um and we would do some custom pricing um but i don't know how they do it now anymore or if there's if they don't do that or that they do but i'm sure that if you just contacted them they someone should be able to um lead you in the right direction of where to go
0: yeah so. i think that uh starting st- starting local see what there is around and then spreading out from there i know the like the um the similarity between say like like dairy ferments uh Ben Wolf and the stuff he's done with the the Harvard lab studying cheese rinds I know that they've done they've worked with a, they're again still dealing with uh professional uh cheesemakers but like smaller artisanal cheesemakers part of their studies were they needed samples but at the same time I've know that that they I've read stuff about them working with other um cheesemakers and, uh, and studying what is the makeup on the Rhine. Now genetics, that's a little different. I mean, that's probably a little bit more, um, a little bit more interesting. Don't really know, but I mean, it's a l- little bit more, a little bit more difficult to figure out, but yes, everyone should seek it out if they've got the money to spend and then share the, share the data with us. We'd love to, <laughs> if anyone sends any of that kind of stuff in from a, like say a sour beer, your favorite, I would, I would want to, I would want to know what's in there.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I am sh- I know that there are places that can do it relatively cheap for one or two samples. Um, it just depends on how much money you're willing to spend and um, how long you're willing to wait because maybe they can do it, but it gets put on the back burner because you're such a, um, you know, kind of a low-priority customer because you just want one test done versus lar- very large um, companies may have hundreds to thousands of samples that need to be run. Um, and it's easier for... Um, companies to run multiple genetic test, genetic sequencings um, at once because of the cost of the reagents that they use, um, the machinery, um, you know, the wear and tear of the machinery, the training of the employees, um, the time it takes to set up the, the experiment, stuff like that. So I think that um, you know if you have a whole bunch of samples they'd probably be more willing to talk to you and figure out and ne- negotiate a price and a timeline versus if you just have like one so I mean but I'm sure there there are places that will do just the one
0: so now that you've dashed the dreams of in hopes of uh, the home brewer from being able to get the genetic sequence for their wild uh, yeast strains of beer or whatnot I um, People can still learn more about yeast, and it's a book that you talked about before, and it seems fitting since we've been talking a lot about white labs. Uh, the, uh, the pra- yeast, the practical guide to beer fermentation. That's the one you've talked about before, correct?
1: Yeah, I still think it's a really great resource um, for any type of person who's interested in microbiology and not necessarily food microbiology or brewing or fermentation. Um, but Chris White, he's the author and um, I think he has a co-author. I can't remember his name off the top of my head. John um, Mill or Yamil. Yes. Mill. Yes. And um, it is to me a very approachable book. Um to give to people or suggest to people who are interested in it, because Chris White does a very good job of, again, not dumbing down information, but putting it into a form that is not only fun to read, but it's easy to read. Because sometimes if you, you know, science and um, papers and, um, you know, you can get too detailed oriented and it's hard to kind of... uh, rifle through all of that stuff just to get to the bare bones of what you need to know. Um but this book really talks about it and the history of um brewing and um also how to do set up your own lab at home. Um and what you need to do that kind of stuff. So, it, I mean, it's it is a very well-done book.
0: And I've read Parts of it. I have not actually uh, read the entire thing, but I, I plan to. Especially since you've talked about it multiple times. We've had uh, a listener talk about and recommend it too, so it's definitely worth checking out. And at the same time, like I was looking through some of the Amazon re- reviews, so I could get the the link for that to make sure I could put that in the show notes. Um, and one person did talk about like kind of as you said. It's like it's not it's it's not dumbed down. It's it's that it's it's a very nice. Um, not easy reading, probably is the incorrect word, but like kind of like you described it. It's, it's, if someone wants to dive in really deep, someone recommended uh, George Fix. D- it, do you know any of his stuff? His stuff seems a little older. It's like the 90s, um, the 80s. But it's supposedly, I mean, they're just principles of brewing science, a study of serious brewing issues and different things like that as possible books if someone wants the more dry science reading.
1: Yeah, and there's I've I've heard of those books too, and there's a lot of um, college uh, literature and books that um, you know lots of universities use too for for their fermentation science programs. Um, those are very well written and very very in depth. Um, so it just depends on how how much you want to learn. Um, but I mean, there's it's endless the amount of information. But I mean, the yeast book is a very good place to start because um, it does talk a lot about the history of how we developed or k- came across single-type cultures um, and how the brewing process has changed through the history of humans um, and why um, single strains have really revolutionized not only the brewing industry but also the food industry and the, the health community um, and how it's changed how we look at sanitation. So, Yeah. Um, he kind of, I mean, and these are all little things that he mentions. And again, it's not dumbing it down. It's just making it very easy and fun to read because like, you know, it's not a school book. You want to sit down and read it for enjoyment. You don't want to have to torture yourself by reading all of these, um, you know, chemical compounds that you may not be able to pronounce properly and, um, whatnot. So it's a, it's a very approachable read.
0: Anything else that you would recommend for people if they really want to get into more of the the science side of brewing? Or does that pretty much cover it?
1: Um, I think that the yeast book is a good place to start. Um, Just start with the yeast book. If you start there, then I know at the the back, he has a lot of references and reference books to use. But um, UC Davis has a really great website. And um, one of their professors, the brewing professor, um, his name is slipping my mind um, at the moment. But he has written some very good um, university-style textbooks that are also very easy to read and approachable. Um,
0: yes, I, I agree name, that but, um, one of those textbooks, I can't remember what it is either. I'm trying to figure it out, but I can't find it. But it's definitely worth it. There's one that covers beer. A lot of it's on uh, brewing because it's by a uh, someone in the brewing program at UC Davis, but it also covers all other forms of fermentation and more the micro biological side of it and so i i definitely recommend that book whichever mystery one that win is hopefully we can get it in the show notes
1: yeah well I'll, i'll put it in the show notes um because his name really is slipping me at the moment and um it's it's important to know his name so that you can even google him and he has um lots of online resources too and he's very well known through the brewing community and that's why it's frustrating that i can't think of his name um but an in, in conjunction with the yeast book, there's also subsequent books that I think that go along with the yeast book. So the kind of like a box set of books. Um, on water and other things. Yeah, there's one on water. There's one on hops. There's one on, I think, uh, grains. Maybe I couldn't be making that up. But I know that there's definitely one for hops because there's a whole um, side research area just devoted to hops and hops research and um, growing hops. Um, for brewing beer so um you know again they could do this whole study this whole genetic study on just different kinds of hops and figuring out how different hops grown in different regions affect beer flavor and how they can manipulate them to get the best you know hop flavor
0: i'm considering growing some hops this this year so um i'll follow up with that in the future
1: you should they smell so delicious um and they're and they're really pretty, they're really great growing um you know on trellises and everything like that. so I think I think you should you should look into it um, but no, I think that those are some those are some good jumping off points for people if they are interested in um, brewing and even just like the genetics and of yeast I mean that's a good place to start to get more in-depth information about um, microbiology. But I think that we should keep following through with this article. And if there are, you know, other articles about it or any, if anyone sees of any other articles that are related to to um, yeast and um, DNA sequencing, they should send it our way or we should talk about it because I think that this is a really interesting article, but avenue that we can take into um, other realms of, again, um you know human development
0: let's change the world with fermentation
1: yeah i mean that's kind of as you said at the beginning of the show that's kind of how things started
0: let's do it so you can find all of the the links in the show notes which will be far and few because we basically talked about this one article but we'll put that in there and then the mention of a book or two and uh, you'll find those at firmup.com slash podcast slash 68 you'll find us on twitter at firm up on facebook at firm up and anywhere else firm up until next time firm up